Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is August 21st, 2022, and today we have a precise and applicable word for us all. In highlighting public enemy number one last Sunday, we have all been seeking out the ways in which fear has been a root issue that we are actively seeking to drive out. The reason why and the ability to drive out fear comes from having the perfect perspective of God and his love for us, meaning to rightly fear the Lord and none other. In doing so, we will have no problem joyfully sacrificing for the sake of others and finding the fuel that our mezuzah functions in. Amen. Has the fear of the Lord been rising in this house? Yes. Yes. So look, now having identified the root issue of fear, we're going to further address this enemy by zeroing in on a particular pseudonym it goes by, an alias, if you will. Mm. In doing so, we will be able to precisely put our finger on the target of what must be annihilated. Come on. And what must be constructed in its place. It is our desire this morning to help you pinpoint exactly what must be done to eliminate existing enemies, both from within and without. Yes. So therefore, that leads us to the title of today's message. Are you ready for it? Wow. Are you ready for it? That's LCM. The title of today's message is Pinpoint Precision. Say Pinpoint Precision. Pinpoint Precision. So... This morning, another question for you. Do you guys value and appreciate the value of precision? Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, talk to us, interact with us this morning. Guys, precision has value for many things. Think about this. You would definitely appreciate the value of precision if someone was performing Let's say a surgical procedure on your body. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that would become extremely important in that moment. (laughs) I hear some amens. Yeah. No, precision would be highly valued by you if you were in that case. What about this? What about just the normal mode, the normal day of driving back and forth in Houston traffic? Don't you value precision when you're in traffic in Houston and there's cars all around you? Oh, my goodness. Precision has its place. What about precision when we're talking about war? How much more is precision important when lives are at stake? You need precise military intelligence to identify the target, and you need precise military weaponry to eliminate that target. When conducting an airstrike, you want refinement in a measured, in a calculable, in a specific coordinate regarding your specific attack. This is how we make sure our efforts, put yourself in those shoes for a second. This is how we make sure our efforts in God's war are aimed at the enemy and not at our fellow officers. You see, precision is very needed in our lives. Yeah, so as you are turning to 1 Timothy 4 and looking for verse 4, say pinpoint precision. Pinpoint Pinpoint precision. precision. Cleaning crew, we appreciate the way that you clean these mics every week, by the way. (laughs) You guys in 1 Timothy 4? Yeah. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. 
Because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point, say point. Point. Point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister, or said another way, you will be a good officer of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. So here Paul is giving Timothy precise instructions and in how to deal with intruding errors that are attempting to infiltrate the church. He begins with stating the character of God. Can you believe it? Everything God created, church, is good and is to be received with thanksgiving because it's been consecrated, made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So what the Lord has been speaking to this body, even as recently as last Thursday, is how God's design and call for our lives must be consecrated. And that through his word and our prayer life. Do you remember what we learned for those who were here on Tuesday about an interaction with the word of God that brings about actions in your daily life? Well, we want to say to point out to your brothers the necessity of reading the word and being afraid of God only. Being afraid of God only. Meaning, God is the only one whom you fear. When you can point that out to your brothers, it causes you to become a good minister. It causes you to become a good officer. Good officers have been nourished. They've been built up and they've been matured by the truths and good teachings of faith that have repeatedly been put into practice in their lives. Church, do you remember Be Afraid from Thursday night? See, the Lord is the only one that we are supposed to fear. One of the forms of fear that we're going to highlight for you this morning takes on a more uh, passive name, a more acceptable name to most of us, but it's still rooted in the exact same issue. This word is anxious. Everybody say anxious. Anxious. See, when you hear the word anxious, you may think of a mild trepidation, a casual concern, or you may think of a level of fretfulness causing you to just nibble or bite on your nails down to the quick. But in either case, Philippians 4 tells us exactly how to treat this. Turn with us to Philippians 4, find verse 6, and somebody say pinpoint precision as you're turning. Pinpoint precision. Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Oh, wow. Everybody already convicted? Yep, I am. I am personally convicted already. We got to the first comma here, and I'm already wanting to put my microphone down. Altar call. Altar call time right now. Get ready. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will in fact guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, the Lord and the Word of God says, do not be anxious about anything. That is the exact pinpoint, precise command and instruction for us all to become fully mature officers in the kingdom. See, we're compelled by the word to take every situation to the Lord in prayer and petition. So let me say this a different way. This is a very familiar verse, correct? Yes. But sometimes it's so familiar that we allow ourselves not to actually follow what it says. Do not be anxious about anything. (laughs) Except who we are. See, this actual scripture doesn't leave any situation 
where we are to be anxious. There's not a situation that you can find where you're allowed to be anxious about it. It also says that there's not any situation that you are not supposed to be taking to the throne of heaven. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. We're reading the scripture. We're literally just saying what it says to us, and you can feel that God is already moving on us. Let me help you, just in case you're not quite with us yet. Saints, this means that you do not need to retreat to a secret place to pop a Prozac. You do not need to find some secret place to manage your stress with a scotch. You cannot go into the secret parts of your own house and in your bedroom and nurse your worries on Netflix. You're not allowed to avoid fellowship by fixating on your phone. I'm with other people, I'm around other people, but I'm really not around anybody because I'm in my own little world. You're not even allowed to escape your kingdom responsibilities with that well-earned, much-deserved trip, vacation, or just little getaway. Are we talking to, to the right group of people today? So clearly the word says, do not be anxious about some things. No. no. What was that word again? Anything. Oh, okay, good, good. We're just clear. So let's, let's jog your memories a little bit. You remember from last week's sermon, we taught you the cure for your present fears. And that cure for your present fears was that you must run into your responsibility. Run into your responsibility. Well, when you're running to secretly self-medicate your anxiety, it's a sign that you're not taking the word at face value and you are looking to another source to conquer your own fears and anxieties. Look, it, is this a real intangible subject that's present yes. right now? The process of presenting your request to God brings far greater results giving you the ability to be full of thanksgiving, to be full of joy and trust. The very things that we listed earlier cannot do in themselves. And it gives you the ability to experience the God of Shalom and he himself giving you precisely what you need. Have you ever tried to deal with a problem and it never precisely dealt with it? Yes. Yes, just think about your week this week in some shape or fashion. So the Greek word for anxious found in Philippians 4.6 is merim now. This word can be translated to care, to take thought, be worried, or be troubled. Merim now is something that draws you in different directions. It distracts you. It causes you to remain in a double-minded state. So we're going to help you this morning. We're going to help you with pinpoint precision. Come on. Why? So that we can all annihilate our anxieties. Hallelujah. So with that understanding, let's all turn together to Mark chapter 13 and say pinpoint precision as you turn. Pinpoint, pinpoint precision. precision. Guys, the Lord has been truly 
working on us in special ways this week, and especially the last 24 hours on this subject right here. This morning is going to be a moving morning. It's going to be a funny morning. It's going to be a joyful morning. It's going to be a piercing morning. Yeah. It's going to be all of the above. We just want to make sure that you guys are fully engaged so that the anxieties that the Word of God commands us not to have will fall and will die in this body this morning. Amen. Mark 13, 9 says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils wow. and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Put yourself in this scripture right here for a moment. Pretend like Jesus is talking just to you and just to us in the first century. Leans over and says, this is going to happen to all you guys. Does that have a propensity to cause any anxiety in you? Maybe anxiety over the, the potential that something bad, something stressful, or potentially dangerous might happen to you? Let us assure you guys this morning... These situations are a certainty in our future. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a matter of if they're going to happen. It is a matter of when they're going to happen. Guys, we can be certain of these events in our future because of the collective call of this body and your essential role in the completion of it. We have local councils to speak with in our future. We have compromised and hostile places of worship to go into in our future. We have meetings with governors to be had in our future. We have witness opportunities with kings and leaders of nations in our future. Yeah. And thinking about these future situations, they can certainly be daunting. They can even create these feelings of merimau, stress, and worry. Let's continue in verse 10. Are you still in Mark 13? Verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Church, as certain as they are for us this morning, we are purposely not talking about the situations and circumstances that are still to come. We are pinpointing your current state in this room today, and we are telling you that we need to work on these first before we ever get to the inheritance of God that is the nation. Someone say nations. Nations. If we can rightly deal with the current enemies of anxiety and worry... Then we will certainly be equipped to deal with all of those that might try to stop us in the future. We're telling you not to worry beforehand, church. Not about what will happen or what you will say or even how it's going to work out. See, we're here today to help you to understand precisely what this phrase, worry beforehand, is really saying. You're going to remember just a few minutes ago that Pastor Matt told you that the word for anxious in Philippians 4, 6 is merim now. Everybody say that with me. Merim now. Merim now. now. Perfect. You are operating with anxiety, merim now, 
when you are worried or troubled within a current setting or circumstance. Now we want you to consider the Greek word used in the passage here in Mark 13, verse 11, for the phrase, worry beforehand. We've got a slide to help you. This word is pro-merim now. Wow. Pro-merim now. As in before, to be anxious, worried, care for, take thought. To be anxious ahead of time. So let me help you out with this. If merim now is being worried or troubled within a current setting or circumstances. Pro-Merim now is being worried or troubled ahead of a certain setting or circumstances. You become a pro-worrier. Professional. You are a pro at being anxious. You are a professional, a pro-Merim now, when you are anxious ahead of time. Oh, is this resonating a little bit? So look, there are more ways than we can count of how this presents itself in our daily lives. But we have a few that we would like to walk through with you guys. And we're going to do this with pinpoint precision for you. That's right. Now, as we do this, we want you to pay careful attention to these that we list and how they are present in your own life. So is everybody with us? Are you locked in? Are you ready? So, first one. You are a pro at being anxious every time you have a pre-arranged pretension. Pre-arranged pretension prior to a team meeting. It's days before your meeting, and you're already planning for the conflicts that you are sure that are going to happen in that team meeting. Got a game plan. Mm. These conflicts have not even happened yet. <laughs> and they might not happen. And they, they, they might not. But you are sure and certain that they will. Here's what happens. You claim that all of this anxiety and concern is just demonstrating due diligence. But in reality... Your prearranged pretensions are coming out because you don't see your team rightly for who they are. And you want a proper defense ahead of time for all of the opposition that you are sure is going to be manifest and present. Oh, Pastor Matt, you're talking to us now. You guys ready to take another one? You are a pro at being anxious. Every time you have premeditated injustice, premeditated injustice, you've been meditating for days on how someone else's actions have harmed you and will continue to harm you unless you rise up and you do something about it. You're convinced that their actions must be held into account. And you devise a justified plan before it's too late and they get away with it. So, you put together your prophetic life-giving speech. That's aimed at fixing the wrong that they have done to you. In doing so, you have not consulted the mind of the Lord. 
You don't know what he wants to say to them. It's actually just for you about addressing the injustice that they've done to you. In other words, this is rooted in the thought process of God's not going to fix this, so I'm going to rise up and do it myself. You are a pro at being anxious. Every time you are drawn in different directions and distracted by presumptuous myths. These godless, guilty pleasures, they dominate your thoughts about situations, about arguments, and obstacles that are not even based in reality. Oh, so let's be more precise, because that's, that's what's for dinner today. This is... Having entire arguments with someone inside your own head about something they have never said. I knew you would say that. So what this looks like is when Pastor Matt says this, I have something ready. And I'm going to say this. And then when he responds this way, boom, here's a witty comeback that's going to smash him. This is having a pre-formulated response so that when the person says something to you, you will be ready for the encounter with the perfectly timed comment. This is working on precisely proportioned projects to convince everyone else of your preeminent perfection. And therefore, you need no correction, no guidance. You don't need growth. Church, the problem is none of these things ever happened. They're presumptuous myths, and you don't seem to notice. They are simply figments of your imagination. They're worse than old wives' tales. They occupy your heart with wicked worry, distract your thoughts with assailing anxiety, and they derail your direction because of your fixation on that which can only be considered a presumptuous myth. You are a pro at being anxious. Every time you seek out your own prescribed alleviation. See, when you're sick or hurt, discomforted, your flesh will always want immediate relief of physical ailment. Is that a true statement or not? When your physical body's rebelling along with the rest of creation, a pro at being anxious will always find a means to justify their next ER visit or a glass of alcohol or pill or anything to alleviate the flesh from actually having to trust in Adonai for comfort. Usually this comes in the form of highly embellished symptoms, coupled with a long list of logical reasons for the next prescription alleviation. When your pain relievers become your source of comfort, they are not just pain relievers anymore. Then they become faith relievers, freeing your sinful flesh from having to look to the Father and endure through hardship. Does this change the way that you're going to look at your next illness? Will getting temporary relief be worth missing the opportunity to ask your team, to ask your brothers, to rally to your side in prayer and help you endure? Not worth it. Next one. You are pro at being anxious every time you have preloaded outcomes. So a preloaded outcome is one that you have set in your mind about a future situation. But that situation has not happened yet. And the outcome you have preloaded doesn't even exist. So these kind of professional anxieties are displayed 
in the despair that is preloaded, and it seeps out in thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions about situations you feel like just won't change no matter what I do. The thoughts and words are akin to, even if I was perfect, this preloaded outcome that I have determined is the only possible version of my future. Even worse, these preloaded outcomes are especially tainted when they're applied to relationships that you are sure just won't change, develop, or mature. So listen to what anxieties with preloaded outcomes sound like. My wife will never respond rightly to correction or my leadership. It's inevitable. My husband is not going to hold to his commitments and lead me properly. And we're never going to mature into the officers that God has called us to be. Well, you ready to get even more precise with our next one? Come on. You're a pro at being anxious every time you have your own predetermined expectations. You guys know what we're talking about here. You don't know what's going to happen in a certain situation. Come on, babe. So you take it upon yourself to determine what you want or what would benefit you. And then you set your eyes and your heart on the fantasy that you yourself have created. This shows up in all sorts of fun ways. Oh, yeah. Like you predetermine a future gift that you're going to give yourself. And you set your eyes and heart on that fantasy, waiting for the proper time that you can indulge yourself in that self-generated reward. Or your fear has driven you to predetermine a future pathway for your children that God has not directed. And you're unwilling to wrench yourself from that fantasy that you've set your eyes and heart on even when confronted by those who you love and trust the most. Or you predetermine a future spouse for yourself. Let's let that one sit for a moment. You fantasize about your own predetermined future spouse. You fantasize about the life you would have with them, what it would look like. Because you think that you are wiser than everyone else and have greater timing than God himself. And all the while, you don't even understand that your own predetermined expectations are severely stunting your own growth and drawing your heart away from the will of God. Guys, when these things don't go the way you think that they should go, when you don't get what you want, then surprise, surprise, you might throw a tantrum. Or maybe you're one of those who breaks down and is inconsolable about it. Or maybe you respond with a vengeful attitude and you're going to make everybody else in your life pay. Or maybe you're even going to make your husband pay for not obeying what you determined beforehand was going to happen. Hmm. So just in case the previous six examples that we've shared have not accurately identified your own ability to be a pro at being anxious. (laughs) Our next one, number seven. It's definitely one that every person in the room has experienced. 
You are a pro at being anxious every time you have predicted failure. After all, all of your previous attempts to be a pro at being anxious, you are now certain that you are not cut out for this. Something must be different about you. Church, this intense level of biblical of living is proving to you that you're a failure. No matter what you do or how hard you try, this is what a pro at being anxious thinks. You've predicted your failure, and if that wasn't bad enough, you are actually convinced of it. We would like to take this moment to remind everyone in here why we are preaching this message. Yes. Precisely why. You guys need some help right now? <laughs> Come on. Okay. After all, these seven points about being a pro at being anxious didn't come to us out of thin air. No. Your pastors, the men on the stage, Pastor Judah, are working on most of these seven in our own lives and in our own families as recently as this week. We all need this message. Yes, we do. Our this point morning. in bringing these before the congregation this morning is so that we can learn to have pinpoint precision. Say that with me. Pinpoint, pinpoint precision, precision in targeting what is keeping your function from becoming consecrated. We will share with you solutions that will be the pinpoint precision of annihilating each and every one of these forms of anxiety. But first, we still want you to feel the weight of all seven of these, so we put them on a singular slide for you. You are a pro at being anxious when you have prearranged pretension, when you have premeditated injustice, when you have presumptuous myths, when you have prescribed alleviation, when you have pre-loaded outcomes, when you have predetermined expectations, and when you have predicted failure. So it's necessary to target this internal enemy so that then we can be aware of our external enemies. Right. If the internal enemies are not dealt with, then you'll be completely blind to the onset of external enemies. Why? Because these external enemies are always scheming to take advantage of our unconsecrated position. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Say pinpoint precision as you turn. Pinpoint We're going to pick precision. up in verse 9. Pinpoint precision. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. So let's put this together. In this passage, Paul is following up on his previous letter regarding church discipline and desiring to give further instruction with pinpoint precision so that the work of God is not thwarted or derailed in the Corinthian church and is aiming at their maturity yeah. into officer status. His desire is the same as the Lord's call for us to raise up officers in this house. 
men and women who can stand the test and demonstrate it, demonstrate wholehearted obedience to God's commands. Those who are annihilating the internal enemy of anxiety and growing to become aware of satanic entrapments that cause division. Satanic schemes are those moments that seek to stifle your spiritual progress. Dismantle the shalom that has been hard fought for. And seeking to capitalize on every form of worrying beforehand. What will happen if God doesn't intervene in this moment? But praise be to God Hallelujah. that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. Yeah. This church has been built upon these concepts that we're speaking to you about this morning. And it's continued to experience growth because we are continually annihilating our internal enemies. And... We're becoming more and more aware of our external ones. Yeah. Guys, as Pastor Wade mentioned before we started preaching this morning, we are currently 60 days away from our next One Association conference. Yeah. And we're also at the same time journeying through a three-month process of getting prepared for this moment. We should all know by now and be fully aware of what type of external enemies come our way prior to a one association conference but guys we can say with confidence this morning that this year we will win once again and we will see the all-surpassing power of god displayed in every difficulty turn a couple chapters to second corinthians chapter four with me i'm going to read verse seven to you But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. I'm blessed beyond the curse. For his promise will endure. That it sure is going to be my strength. So, particularly in the months leading up to the One Association Conference, we can all bear witness to the moments where we are hard-pressed. Hard-pressed to be granted time off to travel and attend the conference. For those of you who own and operate businesses in the church, we also understand the pressing of having to close your doors for an entire week. We understand that. But the history of God's faithfulness in this church has always been that these pressing situations cannot be avoided. But we also know that the church will not be crushed by them. We know the faithfulness and the character of Adonai. He has always supernaturally provided for time off. Isn't that right, Tisdale? Come on! He's also supernaturally provided for us whenever we are both getting off of work and emptying our bank accounts. He's faithful for helping us after we've gone beyond the obligatory. You're not being crushed by the pressing. You are crushing the external, external enemy with your faith-filled obedience. So as of today, we currently have 99% of our church attending this year's conference. That means... 
that 99% of us will continue to be hard-pressed. But we will not be crushed by it. Why, though? Because of the all-surpassing power of our God that will be seen in these very jars of clay. So according to this passage of Scripture, perplexity is another form of external opposition that we as a church are no strangers to. During this week, just the last seven days, it would be easy to point to some of FCR's clients that have brought us to a state of perplexity. Or point to a German vehicle or two that has made its way into Ashford Memorial Auto Repair and caused days of perplexity. Hey, Porsche, we're looking at you. These are all situations where you generally want to know what to do or how to fix the situation, but you don't yet have the right answers. We're not talking about the perplexity that comes from battles with the internal enemies of fear that creates some type of fog in your thinking. You know that, as my friend Pastor Matt always says, that sin makes you stupid. That's not what we're talking about. These are external things that are coming against us. Genuinely complex situation or external situations that are just your, beyond your ability to get your mind around in the moment. I'm sure, man, that most or all of you can relate to these perplexing situations yeah. that we're talking to you about. Undoubtedly, these perplexing times will continue to come, most likely at the most inconvenient of moments. Oh, yeah. But we are not in despair because we know the character of our God. Come on. We know how kingly it is for us to search out what God's answers are and how he delights in giving us those. He provides the solutions to the external problems every time and always at the right time. Pinpoint yeah. precision. Haven't you guys experienced God coming through all the time at the right time? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's something else at play here. The history of LCM has been filled with the external enemy of persecution, most often seen in our dealings with water-of-the-womb families, yeah. or those defectors who were once part of our fellowship and now have abandoned their good standing in the faith to become the most vocal part of opposition to what God is doing here. True. The truth is, we can look around. We can see the fruit of this ministry. Amen. Every single one of you are evidence of lives being resurrected from the dead. Marriages restored and bearing fruit or marriages being formed and then bearing fruit. It has been the formation of teams, plural, in this house. Ones in which ministry is flowing out of on a daily basis. All of this is giving evidence that we are not abandoned and we do not stand alone. We stand within the corporate body of Christ and the family of God that is in this house. Yeah. We're all experiencing the familial bond of the kingdom as those defined by Scripture, meaning those who do the will of the Father. Come on. So let's look at our recent history over the past two years. Guys, the past two years alone have shown us as we have been battling and that we can't be struck down with sickness. Amen. COVID cannot contain us. Yeah. Our bowels could not break us. Yeah. Diseases would not dominate us. Come on. Limping ligaments couldn't make us lose our luster. 
We never negotiated with nausea, not for a moment. Yeah. The only thing that heightened temperatures could do was to keep us tuned up in the kingdom. That's right. We have pressed on through the external enemies of sickness and proven that we cannot be destroyed, church. So continue with us in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We're not talking about your individual bodies here, church. We're talking about this church in a collective way, this body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then... Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Come on. Limping ligaments, Pastor Nick. That is a good word. Church, there is a divine purpose for us always, and say always. Always. Always carrying around death in our body. It's so that the resurrection power of Jesus is revealed in our body, revealed in our church and inside every single one of us. We have that work within us, resurrection power, to stop and stomp both our internal and external enemies. The result of this resurrection power at work in us is that the life of our king is revealed in our entire church body. Do you see how that's collective? Each and every one of us is carrying around the testimony of his victorious power. When we are experiencing death at work in us, We then share in the testimony of this victorious power that's going to provide life for others. Come on now, church. It's probably not a secret to you at this point that the reason that we are pinpointing these precise internal and external enemies is for the purpose of seeing them defeated once and for all. Can somebody say amen in this house? Amen. These enemies are going to die in Jesus' name. We have told you that we had solutions for annihilating our anxious ways. Are y'all ready for some, for some solutions here? That's right. I mean, these solutions are going to be the kind that stop and stomp these enemies. Like stomp them like down and beat them as fine as dust. Are you ready for some solutions, church? Yeah. So that you remember what these solutions are too. Let's put back up the slide that reminds us of us being pros at being anxious. We're going to put a stop. Somebody say put a stop. Stop. To prearranged pretension. By being earnest, showing spudazo, spudazo. speed spudazo. and urgent effort to stomp. Somebody say stomp. Stomp. Every thought and pretension that exalts itself against God and against each other. We will put a stop to premeditated injustice by demonstrating an eagerness to clear ourselves of our own justice. And stomping on it with right actions that line up with the justice of God. Come on. We will put a stop to presumptuous myths by engaging with real indignation that stomps out imaginary arguments, imaginary contentions that only exist in your mind. And replaces it with the reality of having a great burden to overcome your own sin. Yeah. And... To have the transparency needed for others to be able to join you in the victory. Come on. We will put a stop to prescribed alleviation that seeks immediate relief of your ailment. 
your discomfort and your weakness and stomp it limping ligaments and all with the fear of God that will lead you to look to the Father as your only and sole source of healing. We will put a stop. Say, put a stop. Stop. To preloaded outcomes that cause us to operate in perpetual faithlessness regarding relationships. And we're going to stomp it. Say stomp it. Stomp it. it. With a strong affection and a strong faith towards God. All right, you're going to work with me a little bit here. When I say the word stomp, I mean stop, I want you to put your hand out like this. Mm. When I say stomp, I want to hear some feet hit the ground. Come on. We're going to put a stop. To predetermine expectations that are just fantasies for the future and stomp it it. with a fervent zeal for the real work of God that he has a portion to you. We will put a stop to predicted failure that you aren't cut out for this. No matter how hard you try, we're going to stop that. Stomp it. By swiftly executing justice on this anxious and demonic mindset by getting to work in your God-given mezuzah. Come on. I love that. I think we're going to use it. Stop and stomp. But Timo's over there. You know, <laughs> he's, he's got a little more flavor with it. Stop in the name of love. <laughs> Church, stopping and stomping these internal and external enemies will give clarity and pure-hearted devotion to function within your mezuzah. Isn't that what we really want? The Lord is helping us to remove anything that is mixed within us and marring the effectiveness in this church. When we bring up the topic of mezuzah, we are leading you to discover and display what your God-given function is. But this is not just your sole individual pursuit. It is not about you and you alone. After all, it's not called a me-zuzah. It is the design that God has given you to aid and strengthen others as he has created you. In addition, God has designed our mezuzahs to work together as one. Each and every mezuzah in this church has been handpicked by God to be interconnected so that the mezuzah of this church is fully accomplished. Come on, are you catching what pastor just said? It's one thing for you to start to understand your function, but your function is not independent. It is not disconnected from the body, or you are not part of the body. So your mezuzah is put here within this body because this church has a mezuzah. Come on now, that should start to help us to understand the interconnected nature of this. The mezuzah of this church was first founded upon the goal to change one life at a time. You can see the sign directly in the back. That one life that God is putting in front of you in the moment. This came from a revelation about Acts chapter 16, about a man from Macedonia, a vision of a man from Macedonia. I want to tell you, church, that this reality, this vision that was shown to this church that helped establish the mezuzah has never changed. It's never gone away. In fact, it's only growing in clarity. It's only growing in strength, even up to our current day. Over the course of years, the Lord helped us to see the mature application of Acts 16. What began with one life, then changes to one family, and then reaching to change one nation at a time. And you see the verse that's on each 
Each of our signs not only has a slogan, not only has uh, information that shows you about who we are, but it shows you the scripture passage that God revealed these things to us. Here, you've seen this every service for as many services as you've been here. One life, one family, one nation. But the revelation was from Acts 16. It was about the mezuzah of this church and what we're supposed to function in. This is attested to by the amount of time. The teachings that we're constantly interacting with as a church. This is the reason why we put so much effort into developing disciples, securing our singles, perfecting our parenting, maximizing our marriages, and equipping ministers who can replicate not just what we do, but who we are. Why? Because you are part of this body, and God intended you to be able to help and function within our mezuzah. It's not a mezuzah. It is our mezuzah and function that God has added you to, allowed you to be a part of, called you so that you can function and understand it's not about your little part, but how your part fits in with the body of Christ through LCM. Our way of life is being multiplied in the nations in our present time. It is what we are seeing bearing great amounts of fruit in Indonesia right now establishing a work in Peru. And as we are currently speaking to you, it's having effect in restoring believers in Romania through the Stevens family. The mezuzah that God has given this house, it's exactly what I need. It's exactly what you need. It's actually exactly what Romania needs right now. They're asking for someone to come and teach them what it's like to be able to operate not just as a church, but as a family. Exactly what they're asking for. Someone teach us how to work in a team. Someone teach us how that we can work as a family. It's what this church is, and that's why ministry is so effective everywhere we go, because it is flowing from our corporate mezuzah. We have much to be proud of, and we have much more work yet to be done. That can be evidence in looking at this map behind me to my left. Mm-hmm. There's much more work to be done. The way we accomplish that is getting out of the individualistic mindset. You know us. You know that uh, within a short period of time of God bringing you to this church, especially you men, we're going to sit down with you And we're going to begin to help you discover the God-given design that he's he's put upon you, your mezuzah. But that's not where it ends. It's not where it's contained. If you are just seeking to operate within your individualistic mezuzah, you are separating yourself from the plan of God and the body of Christ. But when put on right footing and interlocking with all of the other mezuzahs in this house. Now we are an interconnected body that can run into the will of God and be effective in the will of God. You know, my, my hand does not disconnect itself from the rest of the body and say, I'm going to go do the work of the Lord. It's dependent. Well, in the same way that our Our mezuzahs of each and every household are not independent from one another. Neither is the mezuzah of LCM independent of itself. The work that God has apportioned to us as LCM 
is dependent upon the relationship and partnership we have with the other churches of the one association. That's what God has established. In fact, we can now take a phrase that is up on our wall and make it more plural. We need our brothers, and our brothers need us. As part of the One Association, we are joining our brothers to see Exodus 15, 27 fulfilled. Come on. And that is the establishing of 12 domestic springs that feed the nations. So last, let me ask you something. Are we there yet? No. no. But are we going to get there? Yes. As one body. Operating in unity. What is required of us right now? Us here in this room. Is that we're continually seeking to further mature our mezuzahs as we interact within the, this church. How can my mezuzah benefit every single other person and for their edification at my expense? Their edification for my expense. And when that is established and the majority of what's happening in this church. Imagine then the effectiveness of our church interacting with all of the other churches. At the drop of a hat, we are able to rise up and sacrifice time, energy, finances, whatever it takes, even if it is our own lives, to see other churches benefit and be edified. What we're going to do is that we're going to continue to be empowered by one spirit. We're going to continue to grow in unity as one body. And we will continue to press on to advance one kingdom. Guys, this morning, there's a reason why we're helping everyone in the room identify fear through this avenue and manifestation of anxiety. There's a reason why we're not preaching on a surface level, but we are pinpointing exactly what we see in ourselves and exactly what we see in you. We're doing this so that you can continue to mature along with us. This continued maturity is going to enable you to participate as part of a spring, a necessary spring that bursts forth out of the ground in order to feed the palm trees that are the nations that God has directed and will direct us toward. Just like Exodus 15, 27 states. Turn to Psalm 2 with us. I'm going to read an important passage to the foundation of this church. It's a passage that speaks to the goal that lies ahead of us, not on an individualistic level, but on a collective unit kind of level. Psalm 2.8 says it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's the Lord challenging us today. He says, ask of me. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I was recently born again, 
I think this was back in 2012. And I, I went to go uh, to my old high school to visit my mom. She was working there at the time. And I was walking through the halls, remembering some of the things that had happened in there. And I walked past a classroom with the door open. I kind of lingered at the door. It was, it was open there, and there was a class there, and there was a substitute teacher in the classroom. And I looked, and she had her Bible open on her desk. And I was just about to leave, and she looked up and locked eyes at me. She said, come here. So I walked into the classroom, and I walked up to the desk, and she, looked down, she was looking down at her Bible. She looked up, and she says, the Lord says, ask me. Son, the Lord says, ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance. As can I tell you the effect that that moment had on me? This morning, this morning is one of those times where the Lord is calling out and saying, LCM, church, family, I dare you. Ask me. Ask me and I will do this. I will make the nations your inheritance. It's the reason that I brought you here. It's the reason that you exist. It's the reason that you have a mezuzah individualistic and corporate. The reason why you're here is so that you can ask me and I will deal with these anxieties. I will deal with these faults. I will deal with the struggles that you have and I will make you strong and I will make the nations your inheritance. Many of you know my mezuzah statement is to proclaim the greatness of God among the nations. When I came to LCM, I was lost, I was scared, I was directionless. I knew there was a desire in my heart to go to the nations, to do great things, to do difficult things for the cause of Christ, but I was completely unequipped, and that fire had gone dim. When I came into LCM, we were teaching out of the book of Exodus. And many of you know that Revelation is so similar to the book of Exodus. One of the passages we covered in those early days was Revelation 2.26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. As I engaged with this body, I had no mezuzah statement on my own. I was simply a disciple who was looking to join in on what God was already doing. But you know what was happening about the time that I came into the church? There was missions all over the world. I was invited here by the Eregenas. Well, by Gabe Stevens, but I knew the Eregenas from college. When I got to the church, they all left and went to Romania. But I was left with a group of people who reflected the people that I admired so much. So I received just as much teaching from being in your homes to worshiping here with you. Because remember, Eric, Nick, Judas, Sash, everyone's gone. That's all I know. But I was brought into a family that was always devoted and praying daily for what was going on in the nations. And I was like, I want, I want to be a part of that. Whatever it takes, I want to be a, a part of that global mission. And Revelation 2.26 was what kept my heart ablaze. To the one who overcomes, I give authority over the nations. Because what immediately happened after I engaged fully in discipleship are nights where I was curled up in my living room 
riddled with fear and anxiety, saying, I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. And I wanted to throw in the towel. But it was the mezuzah of this church, the pastors of this church, the families in this church who had given me what I need to overcome those anxieties because his all-surpassing power was at work in me. And by the grace of God, I didn't quit. And he taught me how to overcome. He's training me how to go to the nations and not just do it alone, but to do it in a team. And not just in a team, but with a whole collective body who is devoted to the exact same mission. Only our king, only Adonai could construct something that is this intricate, but yet so precise and pointed exactly at his will. Come on, what you're hearing from Pastor Peyton, what you're hearing from these pastors, what you're seeing and testifying as a witness are men with individual mezuzahs, but who have dedicated themselves to a larger purpose and functioning together. How is it that our church can have teams of pastors and elders and function ever increasingly better by it? Yeah. It's because that we understand this principle. Let us help you to understand a little bit more about the mezuzah of the church that you've been called to. Go with us to Isaiah 49, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25 together. It says, Can plunder be taken from warriors? Are captives rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes. Somebody say that. Yes. Yes. Captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. Church, we are called to be a part of Adonai's war campaign to rescue and reconcile the entire world back to himself. Remember that Genesis 49.10 prophesies that the scepter will not depart from the tribe of Judah and the obedience of the nations will be his. As we take captives from warriors, we must keep in mind that it is warfare. Captives from warriors. You take plunders from the fierce. It is warfare to get this done. And warfare means constantly confronting both those that the enemies that are within, like your fears and anxieties, and those things that are without, like real, actual, physical hardship. The enemy is going to make every effort to provoke your heart to fears and anxiety about the difficult trials that are ahead. But take heart, church. Jesus The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome the world. See, Jesus has already stopped and stomped every enemy underfoot. And he's given you the weaponry to do the same because he put you as a part of this body with its mezuzah. He's given us weapons of pinpoint precision in our left hand and right hands to annihilate the anxieties from within and without. So we'll be prepared to stand before him in confidence having accomplished our part of the mission that he commissioned us to. It's our mezuzah together. There's a collective nature of how we're going to fulfill this. You will never fulfill your mezuzah if you are not working to fulfill our mezuzah. That's how this works, church. You are not designed to be a singular warrior. Some isolated hero that runs around and does damage. We are 
warriors together. See, LCM's destiny is not in question. You can hear it in prophecies. If you start listening really, really closely, you hear it being said often. I will do this with my people. I will do this in you. I am leading you this way. The destiny, the mezuzah of LCM is not in question at all. See, what we have to understand is that we will all give an account of our deeds that come from the fear of the Lord and the deeds that come from the fear of the world. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me hear everybody say pinpoint precision. Verse 10 is where we'll pick up. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So with this passage in front of us, there is the destiny that we all have that we're going to appear before the living God and give an account. So this isn't just a matter, though, of having your personal individual walk measured before the throne of God. It will also include the father looking at you and say, yeah, but what did you do to accomplish my will? My will for the nations. In light of that, that passage, ask of me. God wouldn't be challenging you to ask him for something if he didn't want you to have it and accomplish it. What did you do to sow into the lives of others that helped me accomplish my will for the nations that have not even heard my name. What about the lost and dying souls that are within your proximity now that I want to reach? What did you do that matched my will to reach them? We should experientially know what it is to fear the Lord in contrast to all other fears. That is what sets our course aright. What is precisely at stake if we do not? We miss out on the nations becoming our eternal inheritance. The souls that he wanted us to reach, bringing them the life-changing word that flows from our unity with the God-given mezuzah of the collected body of Christ. Go down to verse 18 in the same chapter. All this... Somebody say, all this. All this. All this is from God. The salvation that we share together, the maturity that is happening in this corporate body, even this morning as we speak to you, and the fears and anxiety that will be stopped and stumped out of our lives today. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, it says he reconciled us, not you. He reconciled us corporately. And if he is reconciling us this morning, then what comes next in the passage? 
When we are reconciled back to him, he bestows upon us his ministry of reconciliation. We actually get to become his ambassadors, his ministers on the earth to the nations. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Guys, this ministry might have started with one man. Might have started with that one man seeing his whole family changed and transformed. But just look around at what it is today. Families all around us being changed and transformed. Even as much of a blessing as that is, though, that is not the end goal. It will not stop just with us. God was always after reconciling the whole world back to himself. And his plan from the beginning was to commit to us his message of reconciliation. This is part of our corporate mezuzah church And we are calling out to you this morning, rise up together with us so that we can accomplish it. Yeah, Church, we know that countless nations are in our future. But what do we do now? What do we do this morning in this service? What do we do with this great revelation that has been brought to us? What do we do with a renewed love for the nations and for the will of God? Let's revisit a passage that we... We covered at the beginning of the word, but now I believe we'll have much deeper and a more rich understanding as you engage with it. It's Philippians 4, verse 6. This is what we do now. Do not be anxious about anything, church, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your, your, plural, all of our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, with a deeper understanding of this verse and a vivid, precise reminder of the call on this body, we will not be anxious about the days of head. Instead, we will present praise, glorious praise. We will present prayer and petition to our God with pinpoint precision. Our pursuit of the throne room of Adonai, what will it cause? It's going to cause our hearts and our minds to be guarded from both internal and external enemies. Church, we will travail. We will endure and pray as a family and move forward as a family to see every nation one for Christ. Church, as we are coming to a close in the sermon here, you can hear the specificity, the pinpoint precision that God is speaking to us today about our own hearts, about what he is calling us to and the larger perspective. Isn't it just like our God to start off with pinpoint precision in our own hearts and then show us how it fits into a larger picture? We have a quote for you from Charles Spurgeon that we'd like to read to you, and it's on a slide. 
there is a general kind of praying which fails for lack of precision. It's as if a regiment of soldiers were to all fire off their weapons anywhere. Possibly someone, as in the enemy, would be killed. But the majority of the enemy would be missed. To have prayers, to have individual mezuzahs that are just going off in random directions without an understanding and a precision that is given from the heavens. Well, you might accidentally get to your point. But the enemy as a whole, the majority of what the enemy is, will not be defeated. Now you understand why so many of the other places that you've been and seen are not being effective for the kingdom. It's not that they don't understand purpose, it's that they lack precision, both in their prayers and in carrying out the mezuzah that God has given the corporate body. Church, stand with us this morning. Church, it is time. I'm going to encourage you just right off the bat before this altar call. This is something that we're going to be doing together. You are not alone. You're not alone in the identification of the anxieties, the examples that we had earlier. You're not alone in the anxieties and the fears that still exist right now. But we, we delivered a pinpoint, precise message from our God. And now, what we're going to do at this altar this morning is we are going to have a prayer with pinpoint precision about what has been pricking our hearts. Church, if you have been pricked with something of this message, something having to do with anxiety, something having to do with fear, if you have been convicted by the Spirit of God, and if He is stirring your hearts now, that should be every one of you. We're calling out to you this morning. Come up to this altar. We're going to lead you in prayer together because we are with you. Your pastors, your elders, yeah, stand up with us. Your pastors, your elders, we're presenting a message before you this morning that we ourselves are working through, that we ourselves are learning to cry out to God to help us and to change us. Guys, this morning we're going to start with our own anxieties that are the manifestation of our fears. Come on up. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. The Lord is going to help us and give us victory this morning. Come up. Begin to intercede, church. Begin to pray. Begin to lift your heart to the Lord. Begin to cry out for his change. Begin to remember the things that convicted you this morning. Father, we as a corporate body, Lord God, lift our hands and cry out to you this morning. Father, your goodness and your faithfulness is great, but we are confronted with our own anxieties and our own fears this morning. Father, we repent, Lord God, for thinking into the future and having anxiety about things that do not exist, Lord. For conversations with ones that we love that are only a facet of our own imagination. Lord, for fantasizing 
about gifts and future relationships that do not exist. Mighty God, for just a general anxiety about failure, future failure that is not embedded in reality, Lord, we repent this morning, mighty God. Father, we give it to you this morning, Lord. We submit it to you, mighty God. Father, we cry out to you. Change us, mighty King. Let us rise up in confidence, Lord God. Mighty God, we continue to petition you now, knowing that true repentance is not just about what we've left behind, the empowerment to stop and stop the enemy's schemes in our lives. Lord, we are praying for your empowerment that manifests in an earnestness, in an eagerness to carry out your will. Lord, for a longing and an indignation and an alarm at what the past has brought, but that would lead us to a righteous, holy life filled with your power in every way. Lord, that you would cause a readiness to see justice done in each of us rise within this house. Lord, that we might achieve what you have and that collectively, together, we can have our faith rise and see what you will do through this body. No more individual thoughts, Lord, but seeing what you will empower us as a body of believers to accomplish, maturing us causing us to grow as each part of this body does its work. Father, right now we turn in repentance from fear and anxiety by presenting our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. We do not own our own health. We do not own our own time. We do not own our own future. Lord, we surrender to you again and again control we give you lordship we give you every ounce of who we are because you are worth it you are worth it since the blood of the lamb has purchased the right for us to stand at the throne of god and be called sons of god we will rise up right now and continue to offer entirety of our lives to him a certainty that we will know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of our Father. Right now, we're going to let thanksgiving rise. We're going to let praise rise. We're going to let joy rise. 